0: All right, we'll probably have some guys trickling in, but uh, I'm just gonna get us started. So good morning, welcome Better Man. Glad you guys could make it. Um, Just, we're gonna do a quick recap of our previous sessions. Um, Last time we had kind of talked about what vibrant faith looks like, beginning with God's mercy. This is in your workbooks as well. It comes alive when we believe uh, in God and are born again, and it joins us to a living hope and assures assures us of our life in heaven. I know sometimes we might hear that, and then it kind of like almost goes in one ear out the other. We're like, okay, that's that's super basic, that's super fundamental. Even for me, I realize a lot of this curriculum is kind of um, part of it's designed to be evangelistic, like it's meant for you to bring like non-Christian or unchurch guys in. Um, but I know for uh, I want I want us to focus on how important it is for each of us individually and personally. It reminds me of John Wooden, um, who's off cited as one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. Some of you have heard me talk about this. I talk about it like now and then. Um, he had some of the greatest basketball players of all time play for him at UCLA, like Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think he still might have like the record for being like one of the winningest coaches ever in college basketball. And at the first meeting of every season, like when they were kind of doing their first trainings and all that, he would get them in the locker room And he would get freshmen and veterans alike and he would get a sock and he would say this is a sock we're gonna learn how to put our socks and shoes on that was the first lesson every year Um, like he and he was serious about it he was for real Um, because his idea was that it was so fundamental that if you mess that up you and you don't put it on correctly you don't tie your shoes properly you might get a blister and that blister might prevent you from playing your best And I'm sure incoming freshmen who are like the top in the country, they would think, they would probably look at each other and go, are you you kidding me? Is, Is this real? Like, I'm one of the best in the country. This is supposed to be the greatest basketball dynasty. And you're acting like, I don't know how to put my shoes and socks on or something like that. And some of us might have the same temptation to think, oh, I'm good. I got that. I grew up in church. I know the Bible inside and out. And we skip the fundamentals in search of something more advanced or deeper. And that's not necessarily a bad place to come from. Uh, I found that in my own spiritual life, time and time again, that the most spiritually rich seasons of my life and the most spiritually fruitful people do not neglect the fundamentals of our faith. It's also why I've tried to include as much of the workbook as I can, uh, even when sometimes I'm like, okay, this is like a little bit different than like maybe how I do it, because I wanna honor the fundamentals. Uh, This session is designed to be kind of like John Wooden's first lesson on the power of fundamentals. And so these are things like daily Bible reading, prayer, service, fellowship, outreach, application in our own life. Uh, I love what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees about their own lack of fundamentals. And I realize I don't have a slide on this. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important, or maybe you could say the more fundamental matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So that's the important thing here. So many of us wanna grow. You know, I've done series before. I like my little catchphrase of where do I grow from here? Uh, Wherever you're at, there's a place you can grow. And there's probably a fundamental of the faith that we have been neglecting. So we wanna hopefully practice the latter without neglecting the former. Uh, Although I will say, often our solution at church uh, related to this kind of stuff is just to do another Bible study, and then we end up doing a Bible study every night, and we end up burnt out. Uh, So there's an extent that we're going to talk about to quality over quantity to an extent that hopefully we have quality time with the Lord, not just like, you know, another Bible study, another this, another that, but hopefully we do the things that we're doing well, the fundamentals well. Right. It hopefully, you know, we have like if, if you're John Wooden, and you're shooting basketballs with your players. Hopefully you're shooting them well for an hour rather than shooting them terrible for two hours or something like that. Um, so you guys will see this in your workbook. We're going to look at sort of the spiritual seasons in a man's life. Now, this is where we're not going to spend a ton of time. Um, uh, you know, so they, they go through and I think it's all listed in your workbook. The season of struggle, season of surrender, significance and satisfaction. Um, also, the, the folks from Better Man. This is also the kind of church background I came up in. Was if you couldn't like attribute it to like four S's or like seven W's or something like that, what's the point of even preaching? Um, so you know, usually these are like gonna you know follow that kind of thing, uh, or there will be like an acronym somewhere. Um, now here's the thing: these these seasons, um, you know. Once again, we'll talk about it a little bit, but it looks at life more linearly. Um, All the the messages I kind of listen to to prepare for this, like the guys who have come before who have done this, um, they all kind of talk about as you get older, you know, or maybe when you're younger, you start out in the season of struggle in your 20s and maybe your 30s or more surrender and 40s or this and that. And maybe it's just because I'm in my 30s that I've only been through like one or two of the seasons um, that I don't I don't find it as important to look at it linearly Um, There's also something, I believe I have a slide. Yes, I do have a slide on this. Um, This is probably a more linear uh, equation. Did did everyone get the notes by the way? I'm trying not to like rush through them too much. Uh, This is kind of one of the more linear equations that has made a big difference in my life. This is from Robert Clinton's book, The Making of a Leader. This is more towards ministry, but I think it has a lot to say towards just our lives in general and especially our careers, is that you often in your younger days, you have your sovereign foundations, right? This is when I came to know Jesus as a teenager, um, inner life growth is what might happen in the early stages. And this might just be like you know in your career. It might be in your marriage. It might be as you're raising kids. Uh, generally, there's this progression and there's a convergence that usually happens uh, at least statistically or in most studies in like your 50s or later. Uh, I think I was listening to a podcast by John Mark Comer and he was saying what most older pastors would say is they said, uh, your, your third best years in ministry will be your 60s. Uh, your second best years will be in your 50s. And your absolute best years will be in your 70s. And I think sometimes we don't get to that point where we don't have this long, um, this long obedience in the same direction. And then the afterglow, well hopefully, like you know, the goal of a lot of this as we go through some of the cycles I'll talk about is that we would hopefully get to this life maturing convergence and stuff like that in our later years. And that there's some guys, the afterglow is like the sage. The Yoda, you know, at least for me in ministry, that would be like Billy Graham or Luis Palau or someone like that, where they've done ministry so faithfully so long that just being in their presence is enough, right? So this is kind of the linear, like, you know, way I kind of look at it or that I find is really helpful rather than looking at the seasons, but the seasons might be helpful for you as well. Here's what I want, we're going to spend more of our time on um, is the, the cyclical seasons of life. Right, So there's value in the linear, uh, but what many of us struggle to do practically is not move through the linear seasons of life, but stay faithful in the cyclical seasons of life. I guess if you could kind of break it down, you could look at the convergence or the sovereign foundations, is that while we're in that linear phase, we're often going to go through <coughs> This cycle of struggle, surrender, significance more so in a circle rather than a line. It's based off the cycle of judges and kings. Some of you like, you know, have heard me teach on this before. Uh, We get caught in the struggles of sin or stagnation. And that's broken when we surrender it to God. And that leads to a time of significant growth. But sometimes we don't make it past these phases, by the way. And we constantly struggle. And then we just have an occasional, you know, emotional encounter with God. And then we just go back to our struggle. Uh, Or hopefully we spend enough time in the significance part of the struggle, or sorry, of the cycle, to see the fruit of our faith journey, right? That's more of that convergence, the afterglow. But what can happen there uh, is we get... Uh, we get satisfied. Uh, that's why I like with that, when I saw that word satisfaction, uh, I thought of the, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter eight it talks about when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord. That is a good thing, uh, for he, uh, for the land that he's given you and be careful that you do not forget the Lord, your God failing to observe his commands, right? That's where we get into the season of struggle. We forget to observe his commands. We forget to keep, uh, going through that cycle. Well, um, and when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, uh, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, right? Then we'll enter into season struggle and forget the Lord our God. Um, and so that's the exact complacency and stagnation that causes us to fall into sin. And instead, when we notice that we're bearing fruit and satisfied in faith is hopefully we actually go back to surrender, and in our spiritual lives, these are the fundamentals, right? When we think, oh, I've gotten so strong in this, I've gotten so faithful in this, I've gotten so spiritual in this, that instead of being like, I'm good, I'm chilling, I don't need to do any more, that way I should say, no, I need to go back to the fundamentals. I I need to keep surrendering myself to God. It reminds me of something that happened when I was a high school intern around 10 years ago. Um, We went to winter camp, and we had this this girl uh, share a testimony. And, um, and I remember, uh, she was like a church kid had like, you know, grown up there her whole life. And she was always like, you know, like, I feel like every time I talked to her, she cried, uh, like she was a very emotional person and like very like touchy feely. And I remember she, um, she shared in her testimony, she said, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life. And this week was the first time that I've really realized that God loves me. And then, you know, the waterworks start coming. And I just go, oh my gosh, here we go again. Are you kidding me? You're acting like the love of God is this big deal, this life-changing paradigm shifting. And I just went, oh shoot, you are right. And how could I have let the word of God become, and the grace of God, the love of God become so stagnant in my life that I've become so satisfied in it that I've become stagnant. Right, and so that's where for me, I I had to repent. I just went, Lord, forgive me for for, uh, taking your love and your grace for granted, right? I actually got, I didn't realize I'd gone from the satisfaction actually to the struggle and the stagnancy, and I needed to go back To surrender. Uh, So here's what I would generally say is that the mark of a mature Christian is not going beyond the fundamentals of the faith. While that is good, that is important. We'll talk about what, you know, maybe some sort of the super Christian things you can do in your faith are, but it's not necessarily going beyond that that's the mark of a mature Christian, but it's internalizing those fundamentals with a deep appreciation for them. Uh, It reminds me of uh, when I was, I think, like 18. Uh, there was this um, this family at the church who I was really close with because I didn't grow up Christian. I used to hate going to main service. Uh, like I'd go to youth group and high school group, but I didn't want to go to the sanctuary of like what would be the fellowship hall service here. And uh, I remember there was one family in particular that always invited me to sit with them. That was the only way I would go because I just hated sitting alone. They'd, now again, they talk about family and parents and this and that, and I'd look around and go, oh, there's everyone else sitting with their parents, not me. And this one family, their last name was The Beverages. Um, not like drink, it was spelled different. Um, but they, they would always invite me to sit with them. And I remember the dad, when he heard I was going into ministry, heard I was going into Bible school. Um, and this is like someone like, I think I'd read the Bible in a year at that point. I was doing like, you know, some deeper reading plans and stuff like that. I thought I knew the Bible inside and out. He gave me this workbook, probably not that like, you know, different than what we're doing. And it was from Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was just on the fundamentals of the Christian faith the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he just gave it to me and he said, you know, I, I think you'd really like this. And I actually did. I, I really got a lot from it, even though I'd already knew most of that before. It kind of helped me systematize it. But he said, you know what? I've been, in, I've been walking in faith a long time, right? This guy's my parents' age. This guy's like 30, 40 years older than me. And he says, um, and I love this so much. And I realized, wow, here's a guy who has been following Jesus Far longer than I had. I think I'd been following Jesus for like three years at that point. Thought I knew everything. And this guy who I thought really knew everything said, you know what I really need is the fundamentals of my faith. And he gave me that workbook. And I still think about that. Or I had a seminary professor, You know, one of the most brilliant guys I've met theologically. And he talks all the time. He's a pastor in like South Orange County. And he would talk about how he likes to think he has all the things figured out theologically. And he says, you know who's one of the best Christians in my ministry is uh, he, had, he had this like old older lady who was all into like these weird, like left, not even just left behind books, but like, you know, trying to calculate all the things with the end times and, you know, trying to say, Oh, it's really, it's, you know, it, it was Gorbachev. We thought he was the antichrist, but actually it's this guy now. I mean, she was always like that person. And he was just like, oh, okay, here we go again. And then he realized this woman, in his opinion, didn't have very good eschatological theology, but he said, she is the most faithful in serving. She is at every prayer meeting. She serves at every VBS. She, you know, she's always in the word. And he goes, she is probably a better Christian than I am. Because it wasn't about getting, you know, the exact right theology. That while that is important, he said, but she was she was just in love with Jesus and just wanted to love and serve him as best as she could. And so hopefully we don't become like the Pharisees and think, well, I'm so great. Well, I'm so awesome. I, I know all these things. I have the highest and loftiest, the best theology, whatever. But hopefully we'd have a deep appreciation for loving Jesus and the fundamentals of our faith. So here's some observations uh, from these four spiritual seasons. This, goes, this is going back more to your workbook. I know I've deviated from it a bit. Uh, we'll get into this more, but no one can move you through these spiritual seasons except you. I think a lot of times we want someone to like do it for us or we want a magic, uh, a magic bullet, but often it just takes discipline. Uh, and for a number of reasons, some of us never leave the season of struggle. We kind of talked about that. Um, and successfully moving through each of these seasons requires two essentials. And this is kind of what like the, the rest of our time is going to be about um, is teaming up with other men to share life together and grow spiritually and to have private time engaging in God with God and his word, right? Like that's, There's not a whole lot to it. There's so many things with like faith when people are like, how do I grow in my faith? I kind of just go, okay, like, yeah, you should probably team up with some other Christians on how to live this Christian life together. And you should probably meet with God one-on-one. Like that's that's a pretty good thing. And I've noticed when I'm doing that, like nine times out of 10, my spiritual life is great. And then the other one time, maybe there's spiritual warfare, there's some other things going on. But nine times out of 10, teaming up with other guys, having private time with God is going to really uh, help our spiritual journey. Uh, So here's some practical moves when it comes to teaming up uh, with other men. Um, So here's the thing. Uh, Whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer is to cultivate spiritually solid uh, male friends or man friends, men friends, whatever, uh, to do life with. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that because I'm going to have even more practicals. So if you guys, you know, I think there's only one fill in the blank here. It's just uh, solid men friends in our life. Um, So here's what I would generally say is uh, hopefully we have weekly church engagement. Um, And I say engagement uh, because it shouldn't just be attendance. When I was growing up in the faith, like when I met that guy who gave me the book from Dallas Seminary, uh, our church would talk about attend one, serve one. So like if it was Easter, they'd say, we'd love for you come. You know, if you're a regular attender, come on Saturday night or come on early Sunday morning or whatever. Don't come at like the prime time. You know, come at the early times to attend and then serve. Maybe it's in parking. Maybe, you know, we had like, we had to have a whole, we had to have like bus, you know, services and stuff like that. You know, come help with parking, come help with kids ministry, stuff like that. Uh, I know here at Trinity, we talked about church plus two, meaning hopefully you're attending on Sundays. Let's say this you know, kind of thing is something that you're growing in and then hopefully you're doing something that you're serving in. Uh, a weekly small group or Bible study is great. That could be something like this. I know in the College of Young Adult Ministry, we've tended to do um, discipleship groups where it's usually like three or four guys and it's more of a, um, uh, it, we, I think we would call it uh, low invite a high commitment, whereas sometimes you might be with like 12 guys and it's more of a high invite, low commitment. But I think the higher commitment we can get, the better. And then, of course, the highest commitment is like one-on-one discipleship. Generally, that's with someone older and godlier than you. Uh, some of you might be like, there's not a whole lot of people older than me. Um, and so that might just be someone around your same age. Um, and then hopefully pouring into maybe someone who is younger than you uh, or some of the young adults at church. Um, so once again, this might see it's like a basic thing. But church engagement is crucial. Uh, Every now and then I'll hear people try to reinvent the wheel and say, man, if only there was a way that we could just get people together to really like sing and worship God. You know, I think of like that song by Elevation Worship, the old church basement, if only we could get, you know, where people were really committed to it. And then we'll have someone, you know, open the Bible and talk about how God is speaking to them through it. And then maybe we'll have stuff we do together and that we announce as a group. And then we kind of go, wait a minute. That sounds exactly like church. Like that's exactly what we do on Sunday morning. Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel here? Um, or I love John Tyson's stuff. He has this thing called Primal Path, I thought about incorporating more, uh, which is where men get together and teach the younger generation these manly skills and then give them opportunities to put those skills into practice. And then they're like, well, we should mark their progress by giving them sort of like a patch or a badge. And they went, wait a minute, that's like Boy Scouts. And so they say, okay, well, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just do a better version of Boy Scouts. Um, and so really I think about sometimes if only there is a way that, you know, we're, we're always getting shaped by the world, right? The world is shaping and forming us to love the things of the world, to be more worldly, not to be godly. If only there was a way that we could get Christians together to do things that would counterform and counter shape us according to God's design. And I go, oh, wait, that's large group uh, church gatherings. Uh, so something that we need to counter is our consumeristic approach to church. Uh, I had a coworker who did not allow her kids to go to youth group events or trips for free. So a lot of times, like, you know, her, her kids would come to stuff and she was like the children's pastor. And they'd say, oh, okay, I can, I can, I don't have to like pay for pizza or I don't have to pay for this and that and the other. And, I, and I'd usually be like, yeah, of course, you know, your, your parents are pastor here, whatever. And most of the time, like we, we, we would do that for other pastors or something like that. People on church staff or people who worked for the school because um, usually, you know, they, they need the assistance. But she said, no, we don't take from the church. We give back to it. I loved that sacrifice. I was like, oh, I'm stealing that for my family. Something that Gracie and I are actually starting to do. Um, well, here's the thing. I usually encourage this for younger people is to give electronically because like uh, probably some of you younger guys don't even have a checkbook or something like that, or I never carry cash. Anytime I have to give like a cash tip, I'm like, I'm sorry, do you take Venmo? Or something like that. Um, And so I like doing uh, electronic giving, right? And I get an email that says, thanks for donating to the Innocence Project. Thanks for donating to Young Life, or whatever it might be. Um, And and I like that, but what we're actually starting to do, uh, now that we have a kid, is we're actually uh, starting to, in our family meeting, is write the checks every week. And then, you know, write in the address and, you know, like put a stamp on it and all that so that as our kids get older, we can be intentional and say, look, we are blessed to be a blessing. I think like Brian had something in the little insert on Sunday that was talking about um, God Uh, blesses us not to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. And that's something we want to model to our kids. And so it sounds cheesy, but we've heard of other Christian families where they'll have their kids, like write the checks with them or, you know, put like cash in the envelopes and then write a letter to Jesus or write a letter to the organization and say, you know, will you use this, you know, to bless people in this way? Or thank you, Jesus, that you've been doing this in this ministry. And we're so thankful to get that letter that says that, you know, you're doing this in young life, or you're doing this at Trinity, or whatever it might be. For us, we want to help them internalize it. And once again, it sounds so basic, so fundamental, but that can be a powerful thing, or at least I would hope, growing up. Uh, Or one of the most important discipleship moments I've had is I had one or two guys who really poured into me, and we would memorize scripture together. And here's the thing, it took initiative from me to ask them, and also initiative from them to like, actually follow through with this. But once again, I think sometimes we want someone to do it for us. And one of the basic fundamentals is you have to do it. You have to say, hey, I will be here at this time. I want you to pour into me. Will you teach me this about the career you're in? Maybe we're in similar careers. You, know, you have a similar family to me. Will you, or you have a similar background? Will you help me? Will you meet with me and talk about these things? It takes initiative from us. Uh, no one can do it for you. Uh, So here's some practical things. That was kind of the the large gatherings and stuff like that and what that might look like. Here's some practical moves for establishing a solo time uh, is to have a regular time and place for your meeting with God. You know, maybe for like for me, uh, you know, being on the couch at my house is not super conducive because my temptation is to like watch TV or something like that. So for me, I got to get out of the house. I got to go somewhere else and do it. Uh, When I was in college, there was a prayer garden at APU. And that was my place, man. It was like, you know, on the way to my classes and I would just go there. I'd be like in the word in, the, you know, in my prayer journal. And I was like known as the guy, I do a lot of scripture memory that I would just walk around like in the prayer garden and just be reciting scripture. Or that was my place to like rehearse my sermons and stuff like that. Usually at midnight for some weird reason. I don't remember why I did that at midnight when I was like 21. And there'd be like a security guard that's like, are you doing like a monologue or something? I was like, no, I'm well, kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm preaching in a couple of weeks or something. Um, and then hopefully we have a good st- uh, a study Bible, you know, a pen, yellow highlighter. Once again, it sounds so basic, but one of the fundamental things I've been doing is I like, I, I if I'm reading a chapter of the Bible, I just try to find one thing that stands out to me or an application that I'm going to write down and I write it down and then I share it with my small groups that I meet with each week. Um, so in the, in the workbook, they talk about the three R's, which is read, react, reflect. I was always taught the SOAP method. Maybe some of you've heard that, which is scripture. Like you read the word, uh, you just observe. Okay. What do I observe? What is God speaking to me? What, what really stands out to me? And then how am I going to apply that in my life? And maybe that's what you write down. And then you just pray about it. God, would you help me apply this thing in my life? And then hopefully we pray and commit our day to him. Uh, This just assumes that you're going to do it in the morning. I find that if I don't do it in the morning, I'm probably not going to do it at all. So that's why I like to do it first thing. Uh, And maybe that's something for some of us that we need to establish. Uh, There's some more things I'd love to give us. Once again, this is not in your workbook. This is more for me. Is maybe you're like, okay, I have no idea where to start. Or maybe you're a super Christian, you know, and you have the entire Bible memorized in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and maybe even in Latin too, if you're a really good Christian. Um, And so... I would say though, what I often have to do is I have to come back around and say, you know, I'm just gonna read a chapter a day from somewhere. You know, and so I'll read through a chapter a day and once again, write down one of those observations. Maybe you wanna like move up from that and you're like, well, where do I kind of go from there? I I love reading through the Bible in a year. I've done that before. Uh, Or Professor Horner's plan, you can Google that as one of my favorites. That's where you read like 10 chapters a day I uh, don't think he's here this morning, but Ryan Martin was doing that for a while. He would like listen to it on an audio Bible and that would really help him. And that just really helps with like scripture, interpreting scripture. Cause you'll read something from Philippians and you're like, what the heck is this even talking about? And then somehow, because it's always rotating, you're like, wait, now I got paired with this passage, not just from Philippians, but from Isaiah that really speaks to it or something like that. Something I did when I was in college was I memorized key verses. uh, And then I actually just posted on Facebook one day. Uh, This was back when Facebook used to say like, Stephen is or something like that. See, a lot of you guys, we don't even remember that. Um, You know, and so I said, Stephen is looking to memorize more, you know, key verses or more like chapters and stuff like that. What should I memorize? And my church was going through Romans 12. So I did that and I said, well, you know, does anyone have any ideas for what I should do next? And some of you guys have heard me say this ad nauseum, uh, but the middle school pastor at my church, so think of like Chris Watkins, if you know him, the middle school pastor, and then this guy who worked at like NASA Ames um, in Silicon Valley, um, they said, oh, we're memorizing the entire book of Romans. Do you wanna do it with us? And I said, sure, I'm 19, I'm in school. I have nothing better to do all day. Um, and so we would meet at five o'clock in the morning on Thursdays, and we would pray over the students that were part of our ministry, uh, and then we would recite. So like they did a chapter a month, and then they were already on like chapter six or something like that. So I started, I think, doing like two verses a day, and then that kind of helped me catch up to them. Uh, and then I, I still do that to this day, like literally like Logan and I do a D group. Andrew Micey is not here, but they know every time I'm like, all right, test me. You know, I'm doing you know, 1 Thessalonians 4. And so uh, I often have them test me. And that, that's what's helped me. But I can get stuck and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm such a great Christian that, you know, and it used to take me like two hours to recite the entire book of Romans. Or it takes me about 15 minutes to do the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I think, well, I'm, I'm such a good Christian. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to do whatever. And yet, a lot of times when I start new D groups, I say, okay, we're just gonna go through the book of Matthew. We're gonna read one chapter a day And that has been life-changing. There's just been random things I've noticed. I think Jesus was, uh, there was a passage I was reading from Matthew 9. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. um, And it was something totally, like, different. He was talking about um, the Sabbath. And, you know, they were like, oh, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. He just had a random line that just hit me right between the nose where he says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? And then he had this whole other thing that he talks to them about with the Sabbath and the Son of Man, you know, being Lord of the Sabbath. But I just applied that to my life where I said, God, I don't even want to entertain evil thoughts in my heart, that happened not because uh, I was such a great Christian that I stayed in this high and lofty place, but because I went back to the fundamental of just reading one chapter a day. So here's some other things for solo time that we'll get into. Uh, This is kind of, we're coming to the end of our uh, me talking time. We'll get to our us talking time uh, is get a prayer journal. You know, once again, I, I neglected my prayer journal for the longest time where I didn't take notes. You know, I didn't do this kind of stuff. Um, by the way, I know like a lot of this isn't necessarily in your workbook. Um, and I, if I'm skipping anything, the answers are in your, in the back of the book. Uh, one thing, this is like what I used to do when I was like 16 is I just listed 10 things I was thankful for 10 things I was praying for. Um, and one of the things that's actually helpful for that, um, is then I would like be able to look back and be like, Oh, I prayed for this. I should add this, you know, now that God answered it to the things that I'm thankful for. Um, one thing I was actually reading, there's some fascinating research that it takes about seven good things to happen, uh, to kind of undo one bad thing. It's sort of like the opposite of golf where I'll have seven bad shots, but one good shot makes me be like, all right, I'm going pro everyone. I'm coming back next week to golf again. But for most of us, we need like seven good things, give or take to happen, to undo one bad thing. So just listing what you're thankful for, right? Even if it's super basic stuff, thanks for the roof over my head, thanks for the food on my plate, whatever it might be, that can be incredibly powerful. This is kind of what I do currently in my prayer life, is I kind of just like write a letter to God. Um, I start my prayers with Abba Father, Um, You know, some people think it's cheesy. Um, You know, I'm not at the point of saying daddy God or something like that at one of those like weird charismatic churches. Um, But that's how I started. And maybe it sounds cheesy. I just start with, I love you. And I just like sit in that for a little bit. Just God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. You are such a good God. I wanna love you with my whole heart. And then I just pray for myself, whatever's on my heart. I just like, you know, get it all out, whatever's on my heart that day. And then I always thank God for my wife I thank God for my daughter, Joy, and I pray for them. Uh, And then I try to pray for others. So I usually, once again, this is me. You don't have to do this. This is just how I've applied it. I I try to give more stuff that you can then be like, oh, I'm gonna take that, or I'm not gonna take that, or I'm gonna change this around my way. Um, But I just pray for the people in my life, usually the people under me, so people in my ministries. So that includes you guys. I try to pray for at least one of you guys uh, every day. And then I try to especially pray for my staff. Because uh, there was a, a, something that helped me a long time ago when I felt like these pastors who were my bosses, that they didn't care about me or I felt neglected by them. People would say, well, you know, they, it's not that they hate you or they're trying to keep you down or they're trying to make you feel bad or whatever. It's probably just that they don't think about you. And that, that was one of the things that changed my life is that what, what we often want to ascribe to malice, like someone's <laughs> cruelty, can probably be more easily applied to negligence. Meaning people think about you a lot less than you think about you. So I've tried to change that in my prayer life. I try to think about others as much as I can, especially my staff, especially my interns. Um, so like Taylor Bramwell, he knows, I'm like praying for him all the time. Um, I try to pray for people I'm discipling. I try to pray for my enemies. That has been life-changing. I'll probably share that in another week, uh, is that I just, I, I don't know, I'm really good at resentment. I don't know, maybe you guys are really holy and you don't, you know, hold grudges. But I'm like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance, if you've seen that. Like every little thing, someone didn't high five him after a game and he goes, I took that personally. And then I whooped his butt the next game. And if Michael Jordan was a bigger person, he wouldn't have been as great of a basketball player. So for me, I'm like him. I'm really good at resentment. So I just have to pray, God, help me forgive this person. Or God, I just pray that you bless this person that I don't like or whatever it might be, even when I don't feel like it. And then I try to pray for my family. I know I mentioned wife and kids, but I try to think of like my brothers, my mom, my dad, people like that. Um, and I've tried to incorporate this into my life recently. This is more recent, is praying for our church, uh, politicians and leaders, nations, things like that. Like the Israel Hamas thing right now would be a big thing or you know the Ukraine Russia war. Uh, another thing you can do is just pray through the Lord's prayer. A lot of times that's what I kind of do in the pray for myself category is I'm just so frustrated with the things going on in the world. I say, God, would, I pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The more that we can memorize that and incorporate that is really great. Uh, sitting in silence with God is really awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of silence. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast the other day, um, or I think it was actually an interview that Mother Teresa did with, um, I think it was 60 Minutes. And someone said, when you pray, you, know, what do you what do you say? She thought about it for a second. She says, uh, a lot of times I don't say anything at all. I just listen to God. I know that he knows what I want, what I need. And I just, and I just trust him with it. And I think that is one of the most important things. I think that is a great step or a great level that we can get to. But even then... Sometimes I like to think I get to that Mother Teresa level. And then I'm like, you know what? I need to list like 10 things that I'm thankful for or something like that. Um, I love silent retreats and stuff like that. I don't know if any of you have done something like that, Um, but I've done like some 72-hour ones before. And people always think I'm going to die because I guess I'm a real talker, Um, but I love it. I love getting to be silent with God um, and just kind of spend time with him. And ultimately, that is a great point that we can get to in prayer, but not forgetting these fundamentals as well. So there's mo- there's many, many, many more fundamentals we could go through. I don't want to take up all our time. Um, and there's obviously way more that we'll get to in the, in the coming weeks. So we're going to get to the fundamentals of like, what does it look like to really love and cherish uh, the women in our lives? What does it really look like to excel in practical ways that the work God has assigned to us? And then what are practical ways it looks like to Uh, better God's world. So this is kind of the blueprint we'll see in the coming weeks as well. But this is what we're going to take into our time of discussion. I know we have some questions in our workbooks that we'll go through. Uh, And with that, let's, uh, let's begin our time of table discussion.